North Carolina's unexpected NCAA tournament run to the Final Four has provided some incredibly historic numbers and storylines that I'd love to unpack today. Plus, we haven't had time to go back and talk about the UCLA game because of all the Final Four brouhaha. So we're going to do that, unpack some of those storylines. Plus, the only thing that can break through that Final Four noise is the golden arm cannon of Sam Howell on his pro day. Plus, Tuesday trivia, all coming up on today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. You are Locked on Tar Heels, your daily podcast on the UNC Tar Heels, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, it's Tuesday, March 29th, 2022. Welcome into the Locked on Tar Heels podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network. I'm your host, Isaac Shade. I'm a beat writer for Sports Illustrated's North Carolina site, and it's my joy to get to chat with you all five days of the work week to help you get through your commute or dishes or chores or whenever you're listening or watching this podcast. I want to thank you for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen every single day. Or if you're watching on YouTube, your first watch. And remember, we are free and available everywhere that you get podcasts. You know what else is today? Today is one day closer to hashtag ruin another retirement party. That's right, Tar Heels, Locked on Tar Heels family community. Here's what I need you to do. We're trying to make this hashtag get going this week. Hashtag ruin another retirement party. If you were with us uh, at the uh, the game at Cameron where North Carolina won, I had started a hashtag for that week, ruin a retirement party, but we already ruined that one, so we got to ruin another one. Hashtag ruin another retirement party. Today's also one day closer to opening day of baseball coming up, I believe, uh, next Thursday. So like nine days away. We're so close to my Atlanta Braves defending their World Series championships. Let me hear you uh, in the comments. Who are you for? Holler back at me on Twitter or whatever. Let me know who your baseball team is. I know there's a lot of Braves fans out there, but I know there's a lot of other people listening in as well. I'd love to hear it. Okay, folks, it's Tuesday, and that means Tuesday trivia. Let's do it. I teased this question yesterday. Brady Manick is up to 92 three-pointers made this season. That is the sixth most in Carolina history, the sixth Tar Heel ever in a single season to make 90 or more free throws. Your question is to name the other five Tar Heels who made more than 90 three-pointers in a single season. I'll give you the answer to it coming up at the end of the third segment when we finish talking about Mr. Sam Howe. Last year, I wrote an article for Sports Illustrated called Eight Decades, and this article was about how the Tar Heels have been the only team in the nation the only program, the only school that has made at least one Final Four in eight straight decades. And I I read it back today, and I noticed at the bottom that I posed this question at the end of the article. Can the Tar Heels, under the direction of new head coach Hubert Davis, extend their streak to nine straight decades? They've got eight more shots at it. That was written last year, just in the month after Hubert Davis got hired. No clue. Uh, Little did I know 
that it was not going to take eight more tries, that it would happen in his very first try. How insane is that? So the 2020s are now the ninth straight decade in which North Carolina has made a Final Four, at least one. Literally no other Division I program in the country has done that. Duke's the closest. They have seven in a row. Not nine, seven decades in a row. Now, I'm not going to bore you with all the numbers of details of all the Final Fours these other schools have made, um, but just suffice it to know that North Carolina made one in 1946, and every decade from the 40s on up through today, they've made at least one Final Four. And so with that stat in mind, here's how I want to start today's show. So often, when we're in the middle of a great run of a season, maybe a great NCAA tournament run, maybe a great streak, we aren't really able to stop and appreciate what's going on. Think about what a neat moment that is. And we are in one of those moments right now. And so what I want to try to do is stop us from getting too far ahead uh, about like getting all worried about Saturday and Duke and that showdown and just enjoy and appreciate what's happening right now. One of the best ways to do that is to just look at some of the numbers of what has happened this season or is happening right now. Some of these unbelievable numbers. So what I want to do is just stop and smell the historical roses for a moment, if you will do that with me. So one of the best ways to do that is through looking at some stats. So I'm going to share these with you and then talk about why I'm talking about it. Nine decades in a row of making a Final Four. This is Carolina's 21st Final Four all-time. That is also the most of any school in the country. Next, the Tar Heels are the sixth eight seed to make the Final Four in the modern NCAA tournament. And as I talked about yesterday, if you listen to the show, that dates back to 1985 when the field expanded to 64 teams for the first time. So every year since 85, if we look at that whole history, there have been six eight seeds who have made the NCAA Final Four. And guess what? There's only one school that's done it twice. University of North Carolina. That's right. I will run you through these schools really quick since it's only six. Uh, the two teams that two of these six made the final four but lost in the national semifinal. And that interestingly happened the same year. UNC in 2000, Wisconsin in 2000. Both of them lost in those games. The next two teams uh, made it to the national championship game but lost that. And so that was Butler in 2011. You might remember Butler. Butler made back-to-back -back national championship games 2010 and 2011 against Duke and UConn. Lost them both. And then Kentucky also made the national championship game as an eight seed in 2014, but lost that. And then uh, this year's Carolina team, we don't know what's going to happen yet. And then one team went on to win the national championship. Interestingly enough, that was 1985, the first year of that expansion. And that was the Villanova Wildcats who were on the other side of the bracket in this final four as well. All right, there you go. Sixth eight seed to ever make it. Next stat for you. 130 NCAA tournament wins. That's what Carolina's at right now. So following their victory over St. Peter's, the Tar Heels in program history have 130 NCAA tournament victories. That breaks a tie with Kentucky for the most all time. Yeah, you catching a trend here? A lot of things that only Carolina has done. Pretty, pretty rad. 
Also, Hubert Davis has now become the 10th coach ever to reach the Final Four in his first year as a head coach. Not just first year as a coach at a new school, first year ever as a head coach in Division I. There are 10 coaches who have done it. Hubert Davis, the most recent before him, Bill Guthridge. That's right. Two Tar Heels are the last two coaches to make the Final Four in their first year ever as a head coach. Dean Smith's successor, Roy Williams' successor. That's pretty stinking cool. And then there's eight more beyond them. I'm not going to read you all the names, but I do want to read you this one because it's hilarious. University of Texas, 1943, Bully Gilstrap. That has got to be the greatest single coaching name in the history of Division I. Bully Gilstrap. Hey, y'all, my name's Bully Gilstrap. Hook him, right? Like, I can just hear him saying something insane like that. Anyway, pretty cool. You can go find that list and look at it somewhere. Now, uh, here's another thing that's coming up this year. You are maybe aware of this, maybe not. I tweeted it out uh, on Monday, and so you can go back and look at that if you're interested in it. The 2005 National Championship Carolina team, 09 and 2017, each of them had a couple things in common. They won the Maui Tournament, and they were AC, they lost in the ACC semifinals. Now, this year's team did not win the Maui Invitational Tournament. Spoiler alert, it's very difficult to win a tournament that you do not play in. Little known fact, but true. <laughs> in all seriousness, Carolina didn't win Maui this year. They didn't play in it. They went up to Uncasville and got beat by Purdue and Tennessee. That's what happened. So we're going to throw that one out. But 05-09-17, Carolina lost in the ACC semifinals, won the national championship. Remember what they did this year in the ACC tournament? Lost to Virginia Tech in the semifinals. Now, I'm not saying that is anything, but who knows? Who knows what could happen? Just some fun coincidences with a pattern that has happened for Carolina. So here, why do I say all these things? So what, Shade? Why are you telling me these numbers? Why do they matter? I know you think numbers are cool, but what does it mean for me as a listener? Why do these matter? Well, for me, Isaac Shade, the angle I'm always looking for is how do I become a statistical storyteller? How do I find all these fun little nuggets of information and find the story that they're telling? So in this case, with all these numbers we've just talked about, what is the story that they are leaning out for, uh, spelling out for us? What, what is the story that they tell? Well, I'll say this. All these historical numbers... They help give shape and meaning and definition to the 2021-22 North Carolina Tar Heels. Who are they? What have they done? Well, you're seeing the fruit of that in everything I've just told you. And so it's this. We're at the point now where no matter what happens in New Orleans on Saturday against Duke, or if the Tar Heels are so fortunate enough to go on against Kansas or Villanova in the national championship, regardless of what happens on that stage, this now has become one of the most remarkable, phenomenal, and impactful and dramatic seasons in the entire history of North Carolina basketball. And those numbers that we just looked at simply help tell that story, that this is a season that generations from now, we will tell to our families. 
I'm 38 years old right now. I hope I get to live a long life. And when I'm 80 years old, I'm going to be sitting around telling my grand, my grandbabies or great-grandchildren about the 2021-22 Tar Heels and that fantastic ride they went on. That's the number, though. That's the story those numbers can help tell. Pretty stinking cool. So, friends, listeners, watchers, stop this week, smell the roses, and make sure you realize what a very special thing you've stumbled into. What a very special thing you've been privileged to be a part of this season. What a special thing you're experiencing right now. And live every moment of it. Well, Part of the reason for that special run was the victory over UCLA last Friday night. How did the Tar Heels knock off a second straight 2021 Final Four opponent? We'll talk about that in just a moment, but first, let me tell you about Stat Hero. Stat Hero's NCAA single game pick'ems pit the star players against each other in an amazing hybrid between daily fantasy and sports gambling. Take control back from those handicappers that always seem to be able to take advantage of you and instead start focusing on players you know best with a gameplay that doesn't rely on big spreads or long odds or funky props. Stat Hero gives you the advantage which results in their gamers winning four times more often because they eliminate the, the mystery of who or what it is you're going up against. For example, in addition to their pick'em games, they have dozens of lineups you can comb through to take on head-to-head. You simply, simply select one of those, and then you select your starting lineup of players, and you put it all together, and they go head-to-head, and, and you see who wins. It's a simple, sleek gameplay that can have you set up and running in just a couple minutes, and that's what Daily Fantasy is meant to be. So, sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on and use promo code locked on and you're going to get a 100% deposit match. Again, that's stathero.com slash locked on. Use promo code locked on for a 100% match. Terms and conditions apply. Well, folks, we are so incredibly close to hitting the 1,000 subscriber mark on YouTube. And so here is my ask of you today. If you have not yet taken the opportunity to go to the Locked on Tar Heels YouTube page and subscribe, please go do that right now. It would just take a couple seconds. You can find a link in the show notes. You could just look it up on YouTube and all you just have to do is hit subscribe, even if you never watch. Uh, this is growing rapidly, so rapidly, and would love to help see that continue to grow. Would you please help me make that happen? That'd be great. Thank you. Well, let's unpack the UCLA game. As I said, I don't want to just walk through the box score. What I want to do is just hit four of the storylines and what they mean and, and how we unpack those and think about them going forward. So first off, Caleb Love. Ridiculous performance, am I right? The guy starts off the game, hits a three-pointer, 41 seconds in, less than a minute into the game, he starts the scoring, 3 nothing Tar Heels, Caleb Love three-pointer. You know what he does the rest of the first half? 0 for 7 from the field, 0 for 3 from 3 for the rest of the half, finishing that first half at 1, for, 1 of 8 from the field and 1 of 4 from 3. Not exactly a recipe for a... 30-point game, but you know what? That's exactly what happened. Caleb Love comes out in the second half on fire, and you know what made it happen? He attacked the rim just like his head coach wanted him to do. Now, that opened up some more three-point shooting, but he got to the rim. He got north and south, finally attacking and using that athleticism to get there and make things happen. 
that then just f starts to free the rest of the offense up. Um, you know, so the, the a three point first half is not exactly what you expect for a 30 point game, but, uh, you could ask Mr. Marcus Page about that. I think he could tell you a thing or two about going off in the second half. So Caleb Love finishes 10 for 16, 5 of 9, and 2 for 2 from the free throw line in the second half alone. Pretty crazy. Played all 40 minutes, and he hit six more three-pointers. That's crazy. Second game this tournament that he's hit six three-pointers. And if you recall some things we've said before, that is a North Carolina record for most three-pointers made in a single NCAA tournament game. It ties it, at least I should say, with the aforementioned Marcus Page, Shamond Williams, and with Caleb Love himself. So there's four times that Tar Heel has hit six three-pointers in a single NCAA tournament game. Two of them have happened in this tournament in the first three games. One against Marquette, Caleb Love. One against UCLA, Caleb Love. Wow. It's also the first time two Carolina uh, teammates have scored 30 points in back-to-back -back games with R.J. Davis against Baylor and then Caleb Love against UCLA. And just kind of remember this going into Saturday against Duke. The Tar Heels are 14-0 in Caleb Love's career when he scores 20 or more points. He usually plays pretty decently against Duke, so that is a hopeful sign. The next thing, the next person I want to talk about is Armando Baycott. Now, we've spent so much time this season talking about his dub-dubs, which I've started calling double-doubles because I'm so tired of saying double-double because he gets so many of them that I just call them dub-dubs now. And it's fun and cute and little and tiny and short. And you love it as well. So get on board with that. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to talk about those. What I want to talk about is what Baycott did down the stretch in this game. He made incredibly winning plays. Starting at the 2 minute 12 second mark, going all the way until there's 15 seconds left, he just made play after play after play. And so I just want to highlight those. At the 2 minute 12 mark, Jaime Jaquez has isolated Baycott, driving in on him. Baycott is shuffling his feet, trying to stay in front, and Jaquez's shot goes up, blocked. Now, he wasn't able to keep it in bounds, blocked it out of play, UCLA gets the ball back and scores. Whatever. Winning play against a team's best scorer at this point, um, which it's debatable whether it's him or Juzang, but for much of the season, uh, it has been Jaquez. Then, next trip down the court, Carolina's got the ball. Caleb Love takes what's probably a rushed three. Baycott chases it down in the corner, makes an acrobatic save over his shoulder, out to Caleb Love on the wing, who promptly takes another three-pointer and buries it to tie the game. There you go. Play number two from Armando Baycott. Now, we come back down to the Carolina side of the court again. Baycott assists out to Caleb Love for another three. Three-point lead. 46 seconds left in the game. Brady Manick is playing defense on Jaquez. You know, Jaquez is all over the court. Stays in front of him. Does a nice job. Stays vertical. Forces a difficult shot. It rims off. The ball bounces around a little bit. Baycott snatches it out of the air and quickly because we're under a minute at this point and Carolina has a three-point lead passes it to Leaky Black a better free throw shooter because the thought is UCLA is going to start fouling now they don't and here's what happens RJ Davis runs essentially the whole shot clock gets into the lane puts up a little floater it's short 
just spins out of the out of the front of the rim. Armando Bacot slides up to the front of the rim, boxes out Jaquez, and just kind of pushes the ball back up over the top. 15 seconds left, five-point lead. The Tar Heels are going to win if they can hit their free throws, which Caleb Love and R.J. Davis do. Armando Bacot is so consistent and is putting up so many great plays, even with an ailing body. Armando Bacot, what a baller. Okay, two other things we want to talk about with this UCLA game. Storylines that I just think are important for us to catch and things that they might point to going forward into the Final Four. The Tar Heels hit a bit of a danger time in the first half. There's about eight and a half minutes left. UCLA has just gone up 22-14. to 14. Carolina had been hanging tough, but UCLA is just starting to assert what looks like the dominance of a better team. Carolina hasn't scored in this point at this point in almost four and a half minutes. RJ Davis brings the ball up and decides, okay, now it's time to score and I need to do something. So what does he do? Just kind of finds a soft spot in the zone in uh, in the defense, kind of free throw line extended, just hits a mid-range jumper, heels are back within six. And I know that is not a huge dramatic play, but it it stops this run. It gets Carolina back within six and continues to allow them to, to maintain contact with UCLA in down the stretch of the first half. So immediately after that, uh, UCLA scores again, pushes it back out to an eight-point lead. There's a media timeout in there. And then coming out of that timeout, Carolina's down eight. Brady Manick hits a three. Go down, get the ball back. RJ Davis hits a three. All of a sudden, Carolina's down by two all because we point back to R.J. Davis stopping that run in that danger time. Who knows what might have happened if he's not able to get that. Because once Manic and Davis hit these three-pointers, Carolina is able to cut the lead down to two, and never again the rest of that first half does the lead uh, expand to more than four for UCLA. They go to halftime uh, with UCLA up three, and then you know what the Tar Heels do in the second half. And so, again, not a hugely dramatic play from R.J. Davis, but he helped Carolina maintain contact, and that's exactly what they needed to do in that moment in a danger zone. Last thing from this UCLA game that I want to point out. I want to shout out Coach Hubert Davis for knowing his team. If you've watched this team closely this year, something you know about Brady Manick is that there are times when he will get, because of his competitiveness, he will get frustrated or down on himself. So there's a point in this game in the second half where he misses three straight three-pointers and is just visibly angered and frustrated. So Coach Davis, although he's left most of his starters in again for most of the second half, brings Brady Manick to the bench because he knows that he needs a break to cool off, recollect himself, and be ready to go back in. Eventually he does. Puff Johnson had come in for him. He comes back in for Puff Johnson. And where does Coach Davis go? Brady Manick, three-pointer. But he misses. But here's what's great. They come back to it again, right around the 4:23 mark. Brady Manick hits this three to give Carolina a one-point lead, 61-60, the first time they've had the lead in seven minutes. All because Coach Davis knew his personnel, knew what Brady Manick needed to get back in and to start finding the bottom of the basket again. And then Carolina and UCLA traded the lead for a while after that, but 
him being out, that's a monumental three-pointer to get Carolina a lead for the first time in seven minutes. You know, it's one of those moments where you just got to get over the hump and then you can go on to victory. And that's what that three-pointer ended up helping do. All because Coach Davis knows his personnel. So that's the Carolina-UCLA game, which led its way into the St. Peter's game, gave Carolina the opportunity to go on to the Final Four. But if there's one thing that could interrupt all this Final Four talk, it is Sam Howell and his cannon of an arm. And he had his pro day along with many of his other Tar Heel teammates on Monday. How did that go? We're going to talk about it in just a minute after I tell you about Bet Online. After months of playing all the way back to November, college basketball has finally determined who its teams are going to be for the Final Four, and one of the one of those four are going to be this year's national champion next Monday night. In fact, I've got Bet Online's odds for you. Duke comes in at three to two, Kansas two to one, Villanova twenty-two to five, and Carolina at the longest odds nineteen to four. And then there's a whole list from Bet Online here with uh, you, odds you can get on the NCAA tournament most outstanding player. Um, I'll save you the full list for now. We might talk about it later. But Armando Baycott is coming in at fifth on the list. He's the top Tar Heel at 10 to 1 odds. So it would be somebody great you could go out and get. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. From all the latest odds, contests, and player props, you name it. They got it. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your latest sports developments, including podcasts and reviews for all the leagues this season. And keep in mind, it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net is your continued source for all your sporting wagering information needs, including live betting and your favorite Vegas casino games. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about all the trends and action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Okay, all due respect to Jeremiah Gemmel, Marcus McKeithen, Joshua Zudu, all the other Tar Heels participating in Pro Day on Monday. I just want to spend a little bit of time talking about Sam Howell, keeping our thoughts on him and his performance today, if you'll allow me that. So um, at this time leading up to the Combine, Howell had been out in Irvine, California, um, training uh, leading up to the Combine with his guy, Anthony Boone, who he has trained with. But since the Combine, he's actually been back in Tra Chapel Hill training for this pro day. And while he's there, really cool, he talked about at his pro day how he'd had chance to connect, reconnect with several of his teammates that had been off in the NFL this year. Chaz Surratt, Michael Carter, Javante Williams, Deami Brown, guys like that, to hear more from them about this process and also just the getting in the mindset of being an NFL player. So not only is how being able to be prepared through trainers and other th all the stuff he's doing to prepare, he's also able to learn firsthand from some of his teammates. Love that. Well, um, Hal didn't go through jumping or agility drills or things like that, but he did, or, or running, but he did throw. Uh, I've seen several different counts of the numbers. I, I wasn't in attendance, so didn't see it myself, uh, but it's definitely over 50. The lowest number I've seen is he threw 53 balls. The highest number I've seen is he threw 66 with only two incompletions. And so a great day throwing for Sam Howell. And, and here's the big point I want to make with him. You've heard probably that Sam Howell is, is dropping, probably maybe even into the late first round or early second round. And a lot of that is because for these scouts, he's not popping off the page like some of the other people, like Pitt's Kenny Pickett um, or, or Malik Willis, right? And, and his, his mobile ability, Willis's that is. 
no one is denying Sam Howe's arm, his arm strength, his ability to make any throw, and, and that impressed in big ways at his pro day on Monday. It's just that he he's not dynamic off the page to these scouts. I, I'm not using those words. Those are the words that scouts are saying. He's been labeled as a Baker Mayfield prototype, basically. And here's the thing to me. It's, yes, they have a similar game. They can make lots of throws. They're athletic. He's being said that he is a more mature and wise Baker Mayfield with better athleticism. But really, I think the reason these two guys are being compared is just like that classic, well, they're both 6'1", and they're both Mayfield's 215, Sam Howell's 220. But but it's like, I'll, I'll compare it to this. For me growing up, I, I grew up in the heyday of boy bands, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, all those guys. Because of my curly hair was always, always, always compared to Justin Timberlake. Can I sing like him? Absolutely not. Can I dance like him? No. Can I date Jessica Biel like him? No. Can I date Britney Spears like him? 100% not. But you know what I can do like Justin Timberlake? Grow curly hair, because that's what God did to me. And so literally because of this, that's why people would say, oh, you look like Justin Timberlake. No, I don't look like him. I wish I did, because he's the man, right? But I don't. And I think that's, yes, there are similarities to Sam Howell and Baker Mayfield's games, but I think it's just, you look the same, and so we're going to categorize you together. And I think uh, there there is, again, some similarity to their games, but I think it's not necessarily a fair um, correlation for Sam Howell. And so people lock in on that, though, and then they can't see anything else. And I, I just want to hear different and better things for Sam Howell. So um, following his performance, I... Sam Howell met with the media uh, for a little bit, and this is one of the quotes he said about his performance. I thought it's been good. I just want to come out in every setting, meaning Senior Bowl, the Combine, this Pro Day, come out in every setting and be myself and show these teams who I am, not only as a player, but as a person as well. And so for me, here's what that all boils down to. He's doing what he has to do for these dog and pony shows to say, hey, yeah, I'll make all your throws and run and stretch and do your agility drills. But until you get to know Sam Howell, the the man, until you get to know Sam Howell, the great football IQ, you're not going to know what you're getting. And so the truth of the matter is, it's fun to see these days, the combine. It's what matters and what talent evaluators have to ultimately figure out about Sam Howell is this. Is my team a better football team because Sam Howell is on it or not? If it is, then this is a guy you need to draft. And I know no talent evaluators or scouts or war room people are listening to me telling them about Sam Howell. Go watch the tape. Sam Howe will make your football team better. Why has his draft stock slipped? Well, maybe he's not as tall as Kenny Pickett. Maybe he's not as fast as Malik Willis. Maybe the Tar Heels lost more games this season because, hello, did you hear that na- that list of names I just rattled off that was gone in the, in the NFL this year? Yeah, you're going to have some regression as you try to figure it out. 
Here's what I can't wait to see. When all of this is said and done, and a bunch of teams have passed on Sam Howell because he's not the requisite 6'4", and because Carolina was down this year, when all these teams have passed on him because of factors like that that ultimately don't matter, they're going to be sorry. And the one team that does ultimately draft Sam Howe, take a chance on him, which is ridiculous that I'm going to say it that way, but I am. Congrats, NFL franchise. You have a winner in your locker room. You have a winner on your field. You have a winner amongst his teammates. You have a winner with football IQ, and that's what you need in a quarterback, and that's what you're getting in Sam Howe, whomever you are that draft him. Congratulations, you win. Okay. Let me get off that Sam Howell soapbox because I can stay on that thing all day and trumpet his praises. And it's time to answer our Tuesday trivia question. Remember, the question is, Brady Manick is the sixth sixth ever Tar Heel to make 90 or more three-pointers in a single season. And you have to answer, who are the other five? And I'll give them to you from uh, lowest number of made threes to highest. Number one on this, well, number five on the list in terms of uh, where they are on, on the hierarchy of it is Joel Berry in the 2017-18 season made 93. Uh, we're just going to keep walking up that ladder. Brady Manick this year, 92. Joel Berry, 93. Marcus Page in the 2014-15 season made 94. 96-97, going all the way back again to our guy Shimon Williams. We already talked about him on this show, made 95 that year. And then Cam Johnson, another transfer. Hmm... Interesting how that's working out pretty well for the Tar Heels. 2018-19 season made 96 three-pointers. And the only Tar Heel ever to crack 100 made three-pointers in the national championship season of 2016-17, your ACC Player of the Year, Justin Jackson, made 105 threes, the only Tar Heel again to ever break into triple digits. Will Brady Manick get there? He's got 92. He might have two more games. He could probably do that. Be interested to see what happens with it. Anyway, that is it for today's episode of Locked on Tar Heels. Thanks so much for diving in with me. Please, wherever you listen to podcasts, go and subscribe. And as we talked about, uh, if you're watching on YouTube or even if you're just listening, would you take a minute and go subscribe on YouTube? would mean so much. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, would love it if you would go rate and review the show. Five stars. Give us some great comments. Why do you love the show? Where do you listen? All of that stuff. Coming up to t- on tomorrow's show, I want to look back at the first two Duke Carolina matchups of this season, see if there's any uh, anything, any stats or data or storylines we can extrapolate from that that might point towards this weekend's game. Um, I also want to look at one of the big reasons for Carolina's growth down the stretch is their defensive intensity and how it's picking up. So we're going to unpack that. And as I promised, we need to take time to recap the women's loss to South Carolina last Friday and just look at what's ahead a little bit and, and what's come behind. So we'll do all that on Wednesday's show. Thank you so much for making Locked on Tar Heels your first listen every day. And as we are thinking more and more and more about the NFL Draft, let me encourage you to make Locked on NFL Draft your second listen. Ryan Tracy and former NFL cornerback Eric Crocker bring the NFL Draft to life every day with insight and analysis on college football prospects and NFL front offices. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. 
So thank you so much for spending part of your Tuesday talking North Carolina sports with me. I hope you've had a great time. I uh, hope it's stimulating some thoughts in you, getting some just good ideas about what this week is going to be leading into the final four. And so remember, it's always a great day to be a Tar Heel. And what a week it's going to be. What a week it is to be a Tar Heel. You know what? Don't forget. Let's go ruin another retirement party. Get that hashtag going. And until tomorrow, peace.